Hello listeners and welcome to what is now the fourth season of Pebble in the Pond podcast. We appreciate your support throughout the first three seasons uh, as we get our listenership up towards that 16,000 mark. Uh, thank you everybody, we appreciate it and um, yeah, and what a privilege it is to bring you uh, these stories from amazing people. We are here and we are aiming to create a ripple for change for mental health. My name is Sam Stewart and I am the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year our association hosts several leading mental health conferences that allow us the chance to meet and connect with the most fascinating and, and accomplished people in the mental health space. Listen in as we go one-on-one with the people changing the face of mental health in Australia and New Zealand. From lived experience speakers through to researchers, academics, leading community organisations and influential industry leaders. Our Pebble in the Pond podcast episodes may contain content, themes or topics of discussion that may be triggering for some listeners. If you feel you need any assistance with your mental health at any time, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit the Get Help page for additional resources at anzmh.asn.au. Involving people with lived experience in the journey to greater mental health treatment and support helps us to build understanding, reduce stigma and discrimination, and improve the quality, relevance, and mental health research. This week's guest, Tash Anderson, is a passionate advocate for children and young people who have experienced family violence and who have been through the out-of-home care system. Tash was the inaugural youth and young person representative on the Victim Survivors Advisory Council in Victoria for three and a half years. She is currently the co-chair of Victoria's First Child Protection Ministerial Youth Advisory Group and a member of the Roadmap Implementation Ministerial Advisory Group. Tash is also a lived experience consultant with Berry Street's Why Change Initiative and studying a Bachelor of Animation at Deakin University. Perhaps Tash's most well-known piece of advocacy is Tash, a short film that she wrote, illustrated, directed and narrated, sharing her personal experience of family violence living in out-of-home care and how it all affected her. The film has been shown at film festivals in Sydney and San Francisco and nominated for awards in Cinefest, Oz and Sydney Film Festival. Tash is committed to telling her story about growing up in out-of-home care and working to understand the impacts of family violence so that the voices of children and young people are reflected in family violence reform. Stay tuned as Tash shares her story with us. Welcome podcast listeners and thanks for tuning in to today's episode. I'd like to welcome Natasha Anderson or Tasha as I'll refer to her in the podcast. Tasha, thanks very much for coming and joining us in a conversation. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you and also thanks for your participation in the uh, Stop Domestic Violence Conference coming up, which you're really excited about. Tasha, tell us about your background and I know you're doing a lot of impressive things at the moment. So I was born into family violence. I grew up in family violence. I was in that situation until I was about 11 years old. And at 11 years old, I went permanently into out-of-home care until I was 18. And I just remember that, like, those experiences were, for a child, obviously quite traumatic. And my experiences weren't, like, the, the dominant narrative either of the intimate partner violence child as a witness. I was I was physically being hurt as well as my family members, my other family members, my other siblings. And, and 
around 2014 and 2015, I remember seeing a lot of news reports around child deaths and the murder of, you know, parents uh, by their partner. And I just remember being really, really angry about it, but having nowhere to put that anger. And, you know, like that that's a valid emotion given everything that I had experienced. And it was, it was around the end of 2015 where my foster carer came to me with the opportunity to join the Why Change team, which was an initiative sort of like a, a pilot initiative from Berry Street that was that involves young people from the ages of 18 to 30 who had experiences of historic and current like socioeconomic disadvantage and basically were employed to then advocate both like in in the context of using our lived experience and like what we've learned from other young people in yeah. sort of like governance spaces and organizational spaces and also to inform policy and reports including things we've done with the Royal Commission into mental health. So, like, I sort of initially I didn't want, like, I was like, I'm not sure if this is something I want to do, and my foster care really pushed me into it. Yeah. And then from there I just got involved in a whole lot of other things too. Yeah. So. You're very active in this space, and it shows, and rightly so, the, the value of lived living experience and the, and, the, you know, and the powerful impact that you and others have in this space. And so thank you for being part of that. Tell us about the experience of the out-of-home care system growing up. How many homes were you, did you go through? I think all up it's probably something in the 20s. Wow. I did go into care between the ages of like eight and seven for about a year and that was something like 17 placements. And then it was like something like five, I think it was about five placements, maybe a little bit less going into sort of my second time between 18, between sort of 11 and 18. And I... I went from sort of what was originally group family homes where you had a live-in worker who would live there for five days of the week and then take a break during the weekend and then moved into a foster care placement, a fairly long-term foster care placement for about three to four years, another residential placement, and then eventually ended up with my foster carer at 17, which is very, very rare. <laughs> like that never happens. A lot of foster carers generally will have young young children, not teenagers, um, mm-hmm. in their care. So, And for someone like me who was just about to age out to have that support at 17, I think was, was really the difference between potentially ending up ending up homeless or going back to you know, an, an environment where I wasn't sure whether I'd be safe or not. So, Well, because you were split up as well from your, from your family as well, from your brothers, is that right, and your sisters? Did they have a similar experience with the number of different homes that they went to as well? Yeah, so in the first experience of out of home care when I was quite young, that was me and three of my other siblings and that they, they all experienced fairly similar circumstances. And then the second time it was all of us and like some of us experienced less moves and some of us experienced more like more moves. Particularly with Resi, there was a lot of moves there for some of my siblings. So tell us about the role that the foster care at the age of seventeen took you in role they've played in helping you she was probably the biggest help (laughs) like in terms of just getting to a point where I I could just focus on being like a teenager and then go like and and sort of building my independence I'd known her since I was about 12 years old she was originally my education worker and her and her husband helped with like building the space and like I belonged in the space at that point just just as I was coming into that placement I felt really disposable like I, I was just an object to be tossed around in the system and like I didn't feel like I I could ever have like a stable family or a sense of belonging anywhere and they really really helped me to feel like I was I was part of their family and I'm still in contact with them today 
like they taught me things like, yeah, obviously, like things that you think were common sense. So like doing the washing, you know, figuring out how to turn a washing machine on, put the liquid in, things like that. How to obviously like book appointments with doctors, with psychologists, things like that. And also like helping me with like my learners and stuff. So this is all basic stuff that I I, I probably would have not learned in a normal family or got the, the opportunity to. But because of my care experience, like I was only sort of able to build that independence at 17. I think a lot of the, for me, like my experience has uh, been a lack of control, transparency and a lack of like autonomy, like throughout my entire life, throughout the my experience with family violence and out-of-home care. There hasn't, like a lot of the time people were making decisions for me and often decisions that I, that put me sometimes in, in really, in more vulnerable places than what, what could have been. And I think for me, one of the biggest the biggest things that I needed was people to be honest with me about why a placement broke down or why I was moving or what was happening with my family to tell me that like try and break that intergenerational cycle of violence to sort of tell me that like the experience that I came from you know wasn't okay and that you know it was okay to sort of move on from what I'd experienced because like I, I I think the system didn't do very well for me, at least in my family, of like telling us like we were in a family violence situation to begin with. And I didn't have the language for it. I didn't have the comprehension. And it took me until I was 16 in that long-term foster care placement to really start beginning to understand that I had, I'd come from a family violence experience, but it wasn't until I was in my 20s where I was able to actually have the language to say that was family violence. Some of my experiences with out-of-home care were milder versions of family violence as well and that was you know that was things I couldn't recognize because I'd come from a worse place but yeah it was just I think there's a lot of issues around the way that we talk to young people and the amount of opportunities you have to have decisions in what happens with our lives. Tell us about being a lived experience consultant with Berry Street and that and the Why Changed initiative. Tell us about the program and what uh, what you love about it the most. Like why change has been the best experience I've probably had, to be perfectly honest. Like I I was because I, I was so hesitant, I like initially I wasn't gonna be involved, but then I got involved and I learnt things about myself that myself that I that I hadn't known before. So like I had a big lack of confidence and I had a lot of social anxiety to begin with. And why change really helped to build on like my professional skills to be able to do things like public speaking and engaging consultations in way I hadn't ways I hadn't before. And there were a lot of there's been a lot of opportunities with Why Change to really build those connections with other young people who have similar experiences or experiences of other forms of socioeconomic disadvantage, and that that sort of that sense of connection and sense of you know friendship in in that space really helped to build on my confidence, but also like the relationships. I think one of the biggest things about Why Change is the peer support. There's a lot like. Our, our work is, isn't just focused on the work itself. It's about um, helping each other when we're in times of need because um, every young person in the group has some form of expertise around a system or self-care or other things that can really help some some other people in the group um, get to places uh, that would be difficult without that support. And the fact that like we've been able to contribute to so many things as well um, in ways that we probably would not never been been able to before has been honestly amazing and it's really good to be have been able to be part of that group and see just how far it's come in the last four years like the the, the way that lived experiences sort of changed the system and it's an important voice to have you know and tell us about the importance of having children and young people to to influence the future policy 
having people with lived experience, like particularly young children, and young people, like it, it's so it's really, really important to the way that we create future reform and legislation and policies, because a lot of the time we're coming, I think as adults, you, you're usually coming from a place of you're coming from a place of best interest interest for that child. But you actually like unless you speak to that child or young person, you have no idea what their idea of best interest is and their idea of what their autonomy looks like in that situation. And it's one of those things where it's like if you're working to create a system for children and young people or if you're working to create a system for anyone with lived experience, you need to have that lived experience really valued and potentially brought in from the beginning to the end and not brought in sort of at the end to just go, look at what we've done, isn't it great? Like it needs to be something that, that really impacts the way that you work and the way that you create new systems and policies and programs because without that expertise you're potentially creating something that will cause more damage in the long term or won't meet the needs in the way that it should for those children and young people. No, it's a, it's a good point and, and I'm glad that that's happening and your involvement in it has, has been quite important as well as I read through that you've, the inaugural youth and young person representative on the Victim Survivors Advisory Council in Victoria for three and a half years. How was that experience? That was um, a big experience. I was not expecting that I would ever be a part of something like that and it was it was actually like quite a surprise to to see that like they were having such a focus on diversity in, yep. in, in that in that group. It was really good to see that we were we were able to contribute to things like the, the the visual design of the orange doors, like what that would look like and how the service would feel going through, as well as the feedback systems for those orange doors. And it was like we were contributing to things like the the bills into some of the family law courts and things like that. And that was stuff that like that's quite like high level stuff and particularly for someone like me who'd, who'd never done these things these things before and to be involved with that stuff was like really incredible and it was honestly like it's amazing to see that I think for me particularly to see that like something like that is possible it, it shows you just just how important lived experience is and how it can fit in at a state level with policy and reform and how the lived voices of lived experience really should be sort of start, starting to be used at that level. You must be something so proud to actually see that you can really tr- and truly affect positive change and have a real impact. Yeah, definitely. It's it's been it's it's been really amazing to actually see like just even in the last few years, like the amount of change around the way that lived experience is valued. And I feel like at least for children and young people, it's still a long way to go. Yeah, like there's still a lot of stuff to be done, but it's really good to start seeing that we're we're, we're getting on that path towards valuing children and young people's experience as much as other lived experience advocates. You're currently the co-chair on Victoria's First Child Protection Ministerial Youth Advisory Group and a member of the Roadmap Implementation Ministerial Advisory Group. Tell us about those roles and what that means to you as well. Essentially, like, that role is is me being, like, basically a support to the minister and asking, like, the questions to the young people who are involved who are um, between the ages of 14 and 22 have experiences of all forms of out-of-home care, so residential care, foster care, permanent care and kinship care, and some of the experiences of lead tenant as well, I think. And so that, that's that been going on for, I think, over a year now, and it's been honestly really amazing to see that, like, the young people have had this opportunity to be able to speak directly to the minister from basically, you know, like where we're actually able to see results. So some of the stuff that came out of that was the clarification around rules of like how 
like whether children, young people are allowed to take, have photos taken of them if they're in out of home care, and also the rules around having a uh, a police check if you're staying overnight. So that was a big issue for a lot of young people where they like there was blanket rules that basically said you couldn't talk like have photos taken at all, and you couldn't go over to a friend's house at all, like if it was just for one night without a police check. But it it was really good to see that like there were documents that were coming out that were really helping to clarify that and um, being able to see from the minister sort of what what they what what they were working on as as the system and how what with what we're, what the young people were telling them was impacting what they were doing a great bit of work and, and really meaningful stuff that's going on there with that and those roles so congratulations on that and if I just ask you but moving forward, what what are your what's the plan moving forward for you? What are you hoping to achieve, and what what exciting things you got coming up? I think for me, it's it's just about like continuing this work, and more so than anything else, I just I want to be able to create more spaces for children and young people to have their voices around their experiences of socioeconomic disadvantage, their experiences of family violence in particular, and out of home care. And I think I'm just really at the end of the day, just wanting to create those platforms. I, and I'm not sure if I have anything going on in the future, but you need this work, I guess. So, yeah. Good on you. And for listeners that, that aren't aware, I, I strongly encourage you to Google Tash short film movie. Uh, and I found the video on YouTube. Tell us about that. Well, I, I created all the illustrations for it and then yeah. Saxel, the production company, animated it for me because at that time I hadn't gone too far into my degree. Okay. That was an amazing experience, honestly, like because VSAC were doing interview-style videos for every member to basically like put out on their, their social media and things like that. And for me, like the option came up to do an animation and it sort of started off with like, oh, we'll just talk about BSAC and then it ended up being about sort of my experiences coming off a, another piece that I did called Holly Story that was um, sort of an anonymous piece. And all of a sudden they were just like, yeah, let's put it into film festivals and then it did quite well and then it went overseas and then I got to go to Sydney and San Francisco and it wow. was just the most amazing experience. And we had the launch last year. And that saw like something like in the thousands of people attending that like online, and like we had technical difficulties, but it went. It actually ended up going quite well, and it's just it's really, it was really amazing to see people take such like interest in in that animation, but also at the same time it's a bit daunting because it is my my personal story up there. Yeah. But I don't think I would I'd change anything about that because it, it, if it helps people have a better view of what's happening for children and young people, like that's that's amazing. So, uh, what a great experience that was for you and and well being able to go around to those places and and have all those people watch it. I mean, it must have been truly something that you're quite proud of. Yeah, very proud. I'm very happy with how it's gone. So. As we sort of round towards the home straight, tell us, is there anything else that you're up to, anything else you want to mention prior to signing off, if people want to get in touch with you? or Not that I can think of, honestly, at the moment, other than the fact that I'm probably just going to keep doing this work and it would be great to see people within the way that they work with children and young people. So, like, just looking at things like how they could potentially give even just a small a bit more of a voice to young people whether that's talking directly to them or things like that it's just I think more than anything it's just about it's asking other people what, what how they in their work can do just even small things for children and young people great message and Tasha if people want to if they want to watch your movie or do you have a way that they can get in contact with with you or, or to see anything else that you're up to 
I think the best place to go is to just go through Why Change at Berry Streets. If they want to watch the film, then it's on YouTube on the Family Safety Victoria uh, YouTube channel and also on Vimeo if they search up Tash Film in the search bar, it should come up as well. Perfect. Okay. Well, that sounds really good. Well, we encourage everyone to go and have a watch of that and see the great work that Tash has done in this space. And Tasha, we wish you all the best in the future. And hopefully, yeah, I'm sure we're going to hear plenty more of you, certainly in this space. And congratulations on the work you've done to date. Cool. Thank you very much. Is there someone working in mental health who you'd like to be featured on the podcast? Are there more questions you want the answers to? Let us know what you want to hear. Get in touch with us by emailing any podcast suggestions to membership at anzmh.asn.au and be sure to stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening and we look forward to sharing our next conversation.